Hey, uh, my name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited that you took time out of a busy end of the week to come here and to celebrate Good Friday, because that's what we're doing. We're celebrating that as we, we stand here on the edge of, of Easter weekend, and, and we're looking to that day coming in a couple days where we will celebrate the resurrection, but tonight we get a chance to pause and to think about who Jesus is and all that he has done to rescue us, and so we're going to look at that and, and try to uh, take a, a hold of that tonight by looking at all that he uh, did to come into this world, this crazy world that we live in. And, and it is indeed a crazy world. And so when I was asked to speak tonight, uh, Renault just said, hey, Dave, whatever you want to do, it's fine. But just, just talk about something that when you speak about it, you, you just are in total awe of Jesus. And so when he said that, I was like, I got it. I know exactly where I'm at because I've been drilling down on this for a couple of years. And so in light of that and, and, and what we're going to do there, the best way I know how to get into that and to take a look at this world we live in is to take a look at something a little outside the box. And that would be chickens. Okay? Chickens. I'm serious. Like, see, did you know that if you were to take 10 chickens, any 10 chickens, and put them in a coop and spread some seed out there for them to eat, something amazing will begin to transpire right before your eyes. In a matter of minutes, what will happen in that coop, these, these chickens that entered the coop as complete strangers now begin to engage in this hierarchy of domination to determine who's going to be king of the hill. That's what they do. I mean, here's what happens. Chicken number one goes and finds chicken number two and begins to peck at and intimidate chicken number two. And if chicken number two doesn't push back, then he'll take it from chicken number one. But chicken number two then goes and finds chicken number three. And, and, and chicken number three gets pecked at and intimidated. And if there's no pushback there, then chicken number three will take it from chicken number two and chicken number one. And then chicken number three has to take out their frustration on someone and on and on it goes until they establish a pecking order. That's what it is. That's where we got it, right? And it would be easy to just kind of push that off and say, oh, well, that's something that you learn about on the Animal Planet stuff. That's a BBC special kind of extra little thing that we learn about. But it, it's, it, it would be crazy to think that that's all about the animal kingdom because we know better than that because it happens in our world too. Because we do that. Many of us, nearly all of us, we, we go around in life and we take a look at other people. And, and we size them up. We take a look at their profession. We look at their, their job. Their, well, their, that's their profession, same thing. We, we look at where they live. We look at what they drive. We look at what they wear. All of that stuff, their education. And we size them up, don't we? And if they have something that we admire or esteem or, or want, then we, we tend to put them higher up on the pecking order and we try to see where we land somewhere in there. And we measure that very carefully, don't we? We're very careful with that. And the goal in all of that, it's an unspoken goal, but the goal would be, I don't want to stay where I'm at in the pecking order. I want to make choices that are deliberate that would move me up the ladder that would help me advance. I don't want to stay right where I'm at. And so I'm not saying it's right. 
I'm not saying it's good. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying it's a reality of the crazy planet that we live on. And it's not anything new. If you were to peel back the pages of history, come back to the time when Jesus was walking on the face of this planet, then what you quickly see is, is several things. Number one, Jesus despised the pecking order. He didn't like that. And, and he actively fought against it during his earthly ministry, just kind of picked at the, the foundation that the pecking order was built on. And also, if there was ever anyone in all of history that deserved to be at the top of the pecking order, certainly Jesus would be that guy. And yet, and yet, he didn't play that game. He didn't go down that route. He did not submit himself to the ways of our world. Instead, he blazed a trail down the path of humility that God would use to rescue us. And it's in that space of humility that just causes me to stand in awe of who Jesus is and all that he has done. Tonight, And so uh, I want us to go to Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and go there. Um, if you have one of Mosaic's Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, page 1084. And we'll be uh, just digging into just a few verses here in chapter 2. And as you go there, uh, I just want to welcome you into a space that I've been in for a little bit. And, and there are very few verses in all of the, of the scriptures that that really overwhelm me to the point of the verses that we're about to dig into tonight. That because they reveal the redemptive path that Jesus took, and, and we also see the depths of humility that he engaged in to redeem us that, that are so countercultural. They're, they're one of those things that it's not anything that we've ever witnessed with our own eyes. And it's one of those spaces that when we read this, it's kind of one of those things that you're just like, no way. No way. How could this be? And so I want to welcome you into that space. So let's go ahead and dive into Philippians chapter 2. Let's start with verse 5. I'll read just a few verses, and then I'll just kind of pick a few things out of that in the short time we have tonight that will help, hopefully help all of us when we leave here tonight to really reflect on these truths and stand amazed as we just sang. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. Starting in verse 5, Paul writes this, to the Philippian church, and as a result, we get these words. God saw fit that a couple thousand years later, we would get to read this. Have this mind among yourselves. Think this way, he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right there at the start, in verse seven, it says that he emptied himself. Some, verses, uh, some versions of, of the scripture say that he made himself nothing. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but when I kind of hitch the word nothing onto Jesus, that's a little uncomfortable. 
Because Jesus and nothing doesn't fit well. Generally, nothing good comes from nothing. If, if we're going to make a name for ourselves, climb the pecking order, if we're going to accomplish something, then something has to be done. Nothing generally doesn't end very well. But yet here we see, right at the start, Jesus saying, now I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to make myself nothing. And in that space, he begins to enter the path of redemption And he starts down the journey of humility by making this deliberate decision to give up the rights and privileges that came with being God. Now, he didn't give up his deity. Let's be clear on that. He was fully God, fully man. That's a whole other message, but that's true right there. He did not give up his deity, but the rights and privileges that went with being God, he laid aside for a time, and, and in doing that, now he was able to come, the first step in humility, he comes from heaven to earth. And he spans that incredible chasm that sin had created between God and man. And this is not some ordinary space either that we're talking about. It's not like you can just slap on a GPS in somebody's car and say, you know, hey Dave, drive as far as you can that way, and when you get there, where Jesus came from, text me, call me, let me know how far that was. You can't measure it in feet, you can't measure it in miles. We're talking about a span of space that is incalculable. Stop and think about this. God left perfection to come here. How did that happen? That's a miracle that if that was the only thing on the resume should take our breath away, cause us to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. But he did not stop there. Man, he, he, that's the first big step into humility. But then we read at the end of verse 7 and into the beginning of verse 8, we see that he takes another step into humility. So from heaven to earth, and then he takes on human form. He comes in the form of, of, of a man. And that right there is, again, breathtaking. He shackles himself with the limitations of the flesh. So now he could get sick. He felt the pain of being sick, the the chills and the aches and pains that come with the fever and, and the cough and sore throat, runny nose. He ached when he worked. He got hungry and had to eat. He got tired and had to sleep. This God is the one who came and spanned that gap and then shackles himself with the flesh. And when he came, he didn't write the story like probably I would write it or many of us would write. We'd say, okay, if God's gonna come from up there, that that heaven is going to uh, let loose of him and he's gonna show up here, then surely he would come as a king or, or a warrior where the red carpet gets rolled out every time he shows up. He gets preferential treatment. That's the way I would have written the story. That's how it would have flowed for me. Or even at very least that he would come as an ordinary guy. Just a regular Joe, right? Just like everybody else. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Because what is it? The the, the verses that we just read in Philippians 2 say that he came as a servant. That's a difference. So from, from heaven to earth, from God to man, and then from exalted to servant. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but when I think of the word servant, I have never in all of my 40, almost 47 years of life never come across anybody that rolled like this because when we hear the word servant, we generally kind of push away from that. We're like, I don't want that. 
I don't want to be like that. Now, I know we should, and I'll touch on that in a sec, but when I hear the word servant, man, I've never met anybody that's like, you know what? Uh, when, as soon as I jumped into school, I did everything I could think of. I studied hard. I put myself in situations where I could excel and, and make a name for myself because I, I got good grades so that I could uh, end up out of uh, school as the valedictorian. Because when I got to that point, I needed to get into this school, this university that is like on the U.S. News and World Report, best of the best, because I had to go into that school to launch into where I was headed and I studied hard and I put myself in situations where I was always in the library, always pushing down the gas pedal on all that kind of stuff. Studied till my eyes were bloodshot because when I got out of there, I want to make sure that I become the absolute best servant. You don't do that. Nobody's done that. That's so countercultural. Now, here's what happens, though. I stand up here, and you're like, yeah, but Dave, have you read the Bible? You know, like, so we stand on this side of having the full account of Scripture, where we can go, and the next week, we could start at the beginning, and, and for the next week, read all the way through to the end, and all throughout the pages of Scripture, what do we read? Be a servant. Be like Jesus. Be a servant. So, what happens is, we know that, but here's the problem I've found with my life, and maybe you can relate to this. What I know and what my heart wants are often two very different things. And when I hear the word servant, my heart does not want that. Doesn't want that. I hear this about Jesus and I think it's awesome for him, but not for me. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there, but Jesus went there. He went there. Nobody wants to be chicken number 10, do they? I don't. Nobody wants to be that guy. And we don't want to be at the bottom of the pecking order, but we read in Mark 10, 45, that Jesus, speaking of himself, said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so in that space, he began to take on a new level of humility that rocked the world totally set it on edge, turned it upside down, inside out. It was new information. And so we have heaven to earth, God to man, exalted to servant. And yet he still adds to the resume of humility. And then it says in verse eight that he became obedient to the point of death. We're talking about the second member of the Trinity here, the one who stood on the edges of the cosmos and he created. He spoke it in, it was created by him and for him. It's sustained in him. And we have the author of life subjecting himself to death. That's, I, I don't get it. Can't understand that. I can't wrap my mind around that for him to go to that level. But it's even better than that. Because it says that even death on a cross. Now we have this wooden torture device that was invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans, and it was all about putting somebody up on that, creating uh, amazing pain. The word excruciating comes from the cross. To, it's this unbearable amount of pain. And, and it was designed to basically 
strip all of human dignity off of that person and say, you don't matter. You're the scum of the earth. You're a nobody. Uh, This is the worst of the worst. This is what it was reserved for. And so here we have the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, son of God, on a wooden torture device. And it would appear at that point that he had reached rock bottom, right? How much deeper could it be? There's nothing worse than that. But there was one more step that needed to be taken. And we know this, not from these verses necessarily, but from the gospel accounts that we read in scripture and the journey that Jesus took when he was on that cross. We can read in in the gospels that he says on that cross when it's just about done and he's just about ready to give up his spirit, he cries out and he's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's at this point that God the Father separates from God the Son because there was a full payment for sin coming down on that cross. Jesus was plunged deep, deep into the full wrath of God because sin had to be punished. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called that the great exchange, that through faith in Jesus and him alone, saying, I I trust you as payment for my sin, with faith in him, then what happens is we get his righteousness and our sin is what he takes. That is what he gets. And it's at that point, at that point in all of human history, It was the lowest point anywhere, ever. There would be nothing that would ever happen lower than that. It will not happen. That is as low as it gets. And in that, now we begin to see with amazing clarity what Jesus has done. That he emptied himself. That he made himself nothing. He wasn't coerced into it. Uh, He wasn't tricked into it. It didn't accidentally happen. This was a choice that he made. And he made that to put God's glory on display through the grace that he offered as Jesus went down the path of humility from heaven to earth, from God to man. From exalted to servant. From life eternal to death. Even death on a cross. And from sinless to sin stained. And that kind of humility. That kind of love. Is why tonight we stand amazed. That is why I am simply Blown away, blown away at the generosity, mercy, grace, and love of Jesus. So what do you say to that? I mean, do we go to him and say, thank you? Certainly appreciation is something that we would do. There's nothing wrong with that. But we get to do something better. It's better. Tonight, we get to celebrate communion together. 
Because what Jesus has invited us into is he says, yeah, take a look at what I accomplished for you in Philippians 2. And as you do that, just remember. Remember, come back to reality and remember that was me. I did that for you out of love. I I love you and I'm glorifying my father in that. And so every time you come to the table, you remember what I did. And we get to do that tonight. We get to celebrate Jesus tonight. As we stand amazed, we get to come to the table and we get to grab that little piece of bread and we get to remember it was Jesus' body that was broken for us. He was where we should have been and he willingly went there. He emptied himself and he put himself there. And then we get to take that and we get to dip it in the wine or the juice. Either one is fine. There's freedom here. We get to dip that in there and remember that it was his blood that was spilled. Because scripture tells us without the, the, the blood being spilled, there would be no forgiveness for sin. And his innocent blood was indeed spilled. And so we get to come and celebrate Jesus at the table tonight. And so I invite you here in just a minute. I'm going to pray for us. And just in your seat, in the quietness of where you are, then just thank Jesus. Get excited that you get to come to the table and remember that we get to stand amazed in the incredible God that he is to come down that path of redemption into rescue by displaying amazing, amazing humility. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for what you have delivered to us tonight through the scriptures that we get to read and and hear about your incredible descent into our world and what you accomplished, God. There are words that describe it, but they fall miserably short of what you did. The depth of love that you displayed, the the humility that you displayed is breathtaking, God. It's incalculable, God. We can't put a number to it. We can't even begin to fathom all that you have done. But tonight, we have an incredible privilege to remember that it was your body that was broken, it was your blood that was spilled, that when we come to the table, we get to stand in awe of you, to enjoy you, to celebrate you, to call out that we believe and to declare the gospel to each other, to remember until you come again or we go home, that you are indeed our savior, our king, a humble, loving God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.